Exodus 34, verses 5 through 9. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. From the New Testament now, Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 8. And the four living creatures... Each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. This is the Holy Word of God. As many of you know, last week began a new sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, uh, and, and I laid out a few reasons why I want to turn our attention towards the Lord's Prayer, this perfect prayer that Jesus Christ himself gave us to pray, a few reasons why we want to study the Lord's Prayer over the next several weeks. The first reason is that this is a prayer that we say every week in our gathered worship service, and so... If we are saying it, I think it's very important that we actually know what we are saying. Uh, I never want us to mindlessly go through the motions uh, in gathered worship. In a good way, I think, for us to guard against just mindlessly going through motions every week is to actually know and understand what we're saying and why we're saying it. Secondly, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer to help us avoid certain mistakes in our prayer lives. This prayer was given to us in Matthew chapter 6 as sort of an antidote to bad prayer habits. So Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 6 of not praying like the hypocrites who, who love to stand in the middle of the assembly of God's people and offer up loud, boisterous prayers. Maybe you've met some people like that. Anytime you're at a prayer meeting or something, there always seems to be uh, a couple people who just love to stand up and pray loud, boisterous prayers that go on and on. But chances are, for some of those people, if you could examine their private prayer lives, there's not a whole lot there. They publicly love the attention that praying in the, in the, the assembly of God's people brings them, but they neglect their personal prayer life. So Jesus says, don't pray like that. Instead, when you pray, go to your father who's in secret, close the door and say this. Uh, he also gives us this prayer to guard against praying like 
the pagans who will repeat the same words and phrases over and over and over again. Like I said last week, maybe you've seen uh, Hindus or Buddhists in a trance and just they, they recite the same words repetitively. Or maybe you've been in the presence of Christians who pray like that, where they're almost in a trance-like state and all they say over and over and over again is, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, or something like that. And Jesus is saying, don't pray like that either. Instead, pray like this. So, this prayer uh, gives us a good pattern, a good model for us to, pr- to follow in our personal prayer lives. Thirdly, the reason we're looking at the Lord's Prayer is because prayer is a struggle for all Christians. Christ himself understood this. And so in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, when his disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray, uh, Jesus doesn't launch into a long dissertation on prayer. He didn't scold his disciples for having a weak spiritual prayer life, for having such a weak faith that they would actually have to ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Instead, he responds by giving them this prayer. He gives them a few short, easily memorizable lines that they themselves could say when they went before the Lord in prayer. So hopefully, as we look at this this Lord's Prayer over the next several weeks, we all grow in our personal prayer lives and we gain an understanding of what it is that we are saying as we worship together. Now, last week we looked at the preface of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we looked at that, this phrase, our Father in heaven. And we saw how in these four little words we learn a great truth. We learn that for those who trust in Christ, we have a Father. God, instead of being our judge, instead of being our enemy because of our sin and rebellion, is in fact our Father. Because Christ has died and atoned for all of our sins. And because we are united to Jesus Christ. And so because of our union with Christ, we now share the same Father as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And because God is our Father, we can go boldly and confidently into his presence through prayer. But we also saw that he is our father in heaven, which means he is the one true and living God. He is the God who is holy. He is a father who commands our respect, who demands our reverence. That is to say, when we approach his throne with confidence, we are to approach him with awe and wonder, and respect for who He is and what He has done as the one true and living God. Now this week we're looking at the first, uh, what many people call the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. This is the first of six petitions, six requests that the Lord's Prayer makes uh, to God the Father. And so, There are three things I want us to see this morning from this petition. Three things for us to learn about what we're praying when we say, Hallowed be thy name. And we're going to see first what the word Hallowed actually means. That'll be the first point. Secondly, uh, we're going to discuss what is meant by the phrase, thy name. And then thirdly, we'll put it all together and we'll see what exactly we are asking God for by praying This phrase, hallowed be thy name. So first, what does the word hallowed mean? 
That is not a word we use in our everyday language. In fact, I would guess that apart from praying the Lord's Prayer, you probably never say the word hallowed. And that's because hallowed is a Middle English word. It's a, we might call it a dated phrase. It's interesting to me that the translators of uh, newer English versions of the Bible stuck with the word hallowed. In, in the 1600s, when the King James Version was written and created and translated, the word hallowed made sense. People knew what it meant. In the 20th and 21st century, you would have thought that the translators would have updated that word a little bit. Because we just, we don't simply, uh, we, we don't grasp what the word hallowed means. But the word hallowed, or hallowed, it means to sanctify, or to make holy. It means to, to be set apart in purity. One commentator noted that um, many things in the Old Testament were set apart as holy. The tabernacle, the tribe of Levi, the priests, children were set apart as holy. A whole list of foods that were called holy or clean. Uh, Garments were considered clean or holy. The Sabbath day itself. And there's a whole slew of things that the Jews in the Old Testament were to set apart as holy. And for God's people then, really, holiness was meant to be part of their daily life. In the Old Testament, God's people truly did live lives which were defined by what was holy and by what was unclean. So if all of these common, ordinary, everyday things in the Old Covenant were to be set apart as holy... The question then is, how much more so is the sovereign, eternal, creator God holy? Just how holy is God? Because this phrase, hallowed, is supposed to bring to our minds uh, the holiness of God. How holy is Him? He is, as our passage from Revelation chapter 4 says, holy, holy, holy. Anytime the Bible uses three words, Like that together, pay attention. As far as I know, there's only two phrases that are used in groups of three like that. The first is holy, holy, holy. Isaiah chapter 6, Revelation chapter 4. And the other is woe, woe, woe to those who are living on the earth in the final days. It comes also from the book of Revelation. Holy, holy, holy. He is thrice holy. He is holy upon holy upon holy. Holy to the utmost degree. And this doesn't just mean that God is without sin. It doesn't just mean that God doesn't sin. It means that God is undefiled in every sense of the word. He is the supreme, ultimate, moral good. He is the ultimate majesty of the entire known and unknown creation. Pastor Philip Ryken said that God's holiness is the very godness of God. The sum total of all his glorious perfections. This is what the word hallowed means. It's referencing the very holiness, the very godness of God himself. Secondly, then, what does it, what does it mean uh, when we say thy name or your name? Perhaps a better way to ask this question is, what is signified by the phrase thy name? Quite simply, the name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, 
It represents God himself. The phrase, thy name, is supposed to call to our mind everything that God is. This is seen in our Old Testament text this morning from Exodus 34. Look at verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses, and there he proclaimed the name of the Lord. And then what does God go on to do? Look at verse 6. He passes before Moses and he proclaims his name, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So God, he comes to Moses and he declares his name and then he goes on to list several of his holy attributes, what many people have called his holy perfections. When he declares his name, the Lord also declares that he is merciful and gracious, that he is patient, that he is faithful, that he is a forgiving God, but also he is a just God who will deal with sin, that he is a God that has a holy wrath towards that which is evil. This is what is represented by the phrase, thy name. When we say that phrase, we are to call to mind all that God is and all that he has done in his works of creation and, and providence and salvation and judgment. That's what we are to think of when we say the word, thy name. We ought to be praising God for who he is. How many of us pray that way? How many of us begin our prayers by praising God for who he is? What do we do? We go right to Lord, help me this. Lord, do this. Lord, and Agnes's toenails infected. Help her. We present this list of needs before him. We, we do not worship and honor God in prayer. But that's what we should do when we say thy name. We should be praising God for who he is and what he has done for us. A.W. Pink Uh, He was a theologian, and he has a funny last name, but it's Pink. He wrote that the divine name sets before us all that God has revealed to us concerning himself. It is in such names and titles as the Almighty, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh, the God of peace, and the name our Father, that God reveals himself to us. And so then what are we asking? What are we asking for exactly from God when we pray, hallowed be thy name? Well, you might logically put it all together and say, well, if hallowed means to make holy, and if thy name means uh, stands to represent all that God has revealed himself to be, then maybe we're asking God to make himself holy. And to that we have to say, certainly not. God is complete in all that he is. Nothing can be added to his holiness. Nothing can be taken away from his holiness. He is, in and of himself, perfectly holy already. He is, as we heard already, holy upon holy upon holy, holy to the utmost degree. So this petition can't possibly be translated to mean, Lord, make yourself holy. Rather, what we are asking God to do is to glorify himself. 
We are asking God to reveal himself to us and to the world around us as the holy God. St. Augustine said that this is prayed for, not as if the name of God were not holy already, but that it may be held holy by all men. We're asking God first, we're asking him as his people for his help. We're asking him to help us glorify and honor him in every part of our lives. When we gather for worship and we pray the Lord's Prayer together, we're asking God to help him glorify him alone in our worship. When we say the Lord's Prayer in our private prayer lives, which, by the way, I do encourage you to do. I encourage you to be saying the Lord's Prayer in your private prayer life. The early church father, Cyprian, said that he, stro- he, he tried to pray the Lord's Prayer five times a day. He would pray. He would pray when he woke up, mid-morning, mid-afternoon, uh, mealtime, and when he would go to bed. Five times a day. Now, I, I took that as a personal challenge a few years ago, and I never made it past three times a day. But I believe that if you do that, you will begin to see yourself growing and your desire to see God be hallowed in your life. You will begin to see your spiritual life transformed, and you will begin to see your prayer life transformed. So I do hope that you do pray the Lord's Prayer in your private prayer lives. But when you wake up in the morning, and I I, I try to begin my day by saying the Lord's Prayer. I don't do it every day, but I strive for that. When you wake up in the morning and you say the Lord's Prayer, and you say, Hallowed be thy name, You need to know that you are asking God that this day, as you live your life in his holy presence, because all of life is lived in his holy presence, you're asking him that you would hallow his name. You're asking God to make you more and more holy so that in return, you can glorify and honor him in the way you live and what you think in what you say, and in what you do. Well, we're not only asking God to make his name holy in our lives, to glorify himself in and through us, we're asking God that his name would be hallowed in the lives of others, in the world around us. That the world would honor and worship and revere God as the one and only true and living God and do all things to his glory and honor. There is in this petition, you see, there's an evangelical zeal here. We're asking that God's name would be worshipped and praised throughout the world. That all those around us would see and recognize God for who he is and that they would worship And glorify him. This petition is asking God for you and I as individuals to keep holy the name of God. It's asking God that we as a church would glorify him and keep his name holy. And it's asking God that the gospel would go forth into the world and that the spirit would, through the proclamation of the gospel, that the spirit would transform hearts and souls and minds so that all would glorify God and keep his name holy. That's what we're asking for in this first petition of the Lord's Prayer. We are really asking God 
We are really asking God to fulfill in us and in all people the very purpose of our lives, the very chief end of man. We are asking God to help us glorify him and enjoy him forever. And this begs the question, are you living for the glory of God? Are you living to hallow his name? Now, if you're not trusting in Christ for your salvation, if you've not repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the answer is no. You are not living to hallow God's name. You are living for yourself. You are living for the glory, for your own glory. You certainly are not living for the glory of God. You can't possibly be living for the glory of God because your sin has not been dealt with. Remember what we heard this morning, Exodus 34, verse 7. God will by no means clear the guilty, and we are all guilty infinitely guilty before the infinitely holy God. But the good news, the good news, the truly good news, the life transforming good news is that your guilt can be taken away. The guilt of every sin, past, present, and future can be removed from you right now by turning to Christ in repentance and faith. If you pray to God, Lord, Have mercy on me. I know I am guilty. For the sake of your own son, Jesus Christ, forgive me. In him I trust. In his death and resurrection do I place my hope. Do you know what will happen if you pray that from your heart? If you believe it? If you place your your faith in it? If you trust and hope in it? The holy God of perfect justice and wrath will pour out his steadfast love upon you. You will be forgiven of your sins. You will be for, you will be counted as righteous in his holy sight. You will receive the gift of everlasting life. You will be given the privilege of calling God Father. And you will begin to live for the glory of God. It's a promise. It's a promise that God has given his, uh, his people in his holy word. And as we saw from Exodus 34, he is the faithful God, which means he will keep all his promises. He will not deny himself. So come to Christ and trust in him for your salvation and you will begin to live for the glory of God. His name will be hallowed in your life. Now, if you are trusting in Christ again, I must ask, are you living For the glory of God. Am I living for the glory of God? You see, in this petition, we have a recognition that even for God's people, even for those who are set free from the guilt and power of sin and death, even for those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who are reborn, we have a recognition that we cannot, of our own power, live for the glory of God. We can't, of our own strength, hallow God's name. We all know it, and hopefully we're all heartbroken by this fact. Too often, we live for our own glory, as if we were not new creations in Christ Jesus. I did it just this week. Wednesday was one of those days for me where nothing nothing went right. It was 
Now, a lot did go right. A lot that I didn't see. God's providence was at work in my life, but all I could do was focus on one frustration after another. It was a long day where, you know, just one frustrating thing happened right after another. And did I respond by saying, glory to God? Did I respond by praising God? Did I take it all on the chin and give God's glory? Was God's name hallowed in my life? No. I got impatient, short-tempered. I fostered a bad attitude. I did not hallow the name of God in my life. Despite the fact that the truths of this sermon were already being planted in my own mind and I was reflecting on these texts and what it means to hallow God's name, despite that truth, I did not live for the glory of God. And I had to repent of that sin. How wonderful is our Savior that He would understand that struggle, understand our inability in this area, that He would have compassion on us even in giving the Lord's Prayer by beginning that prayer in such a way so as to teach us to say, Hallowed be Thy name. Help me, Lord, to live for Your glory. Jesus is indeed a compassionate Savior who understands our human weakness, brothers and sisters. He understands so much so that He taught us to ask God for His help in hallowing His name. So again, I encourage you to start your day by using the words of the Lord's Prayer, asking God to help you hallow His name at each and every moment of your lives. Ask Him to help you live for His glory alone. Last week I mentioned a fantastic resource, I think I mentioned it, on the Lord's Prayer. It's a book by the Puritan Thomas Watson, one of the men who helped write our confession of faith in the middle of the 17th century. Thomas Watson, he was a Puritan pastor. He wrote a book called The Lord's Prayer. Easy to remember the title. And he pointed out in this book that this petition... Hallowed be thy name is a petition God's people will make for all eternity. And we see that in Revelation chapter 4, right? Revelation chapter 4, our text this morning, is a vision of heavenly worship. When it speaks of those uh, mysterious creatures, those are the angelic hosts. When it speaks of the 24 elders... They are representing the bride of Christ, the people of God. The 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles are represented in those 24 elders. The people of God throughout all time. And what are they doing in heaven? They are hallowing the name of God. They are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are singing blessing to the Lamb who was slain. And Thomas Watson said, when some of the other petitions shall be useless and out of date, as we shall not need to pray in heaven, give us our daily bread, because there shall be no want. When we shall not need to pray, forgive us our debts, because there shall be no sin, nor lead us into temptation, because the old serpent is not there to tempt Yet the hallowing of God's name will be of great use and request in heaven. Why? Because we shall be ever singing hallelujahs, which is nothing else but the hallowing of God's name. And so our prayer on earth, before we get to that great state where we will say hallowed be thy name and say it without the burden of sin on our lives, our goal on earth now is that we would glorify 
God's name, both in our lives as individuals and in our lives as the church. And we would desire to see God's name hallowed to the ends of the earth so that God will be glorified in our midst both now and forever.